You are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Choices. Someone has said we make some 35,000 choices a day. That's one every couple of seconds. It means you've made choices just since I've started this sermon. It may have been whether to cross your legs or not, to set the bulletin down on the pew or not, closing your eyes just to rest a little bit, deciding if you're going to keep on listening or not, letting your mind wander. Some choices we're not even aware of. Others are clear. Others are very obvious and may seem like no choice. I remember my dad describing a choice that was before him. He had enlisted in the Army on January 1st, 1941. It was part of the buildup of the U.S. Armed Forces just in case the U.S. entered World War II. He was one of those young men, as he described himself, who was a bit adrift during the Depression. A couple years of college, and then he returned home to work in his dad's, my grandfather's garage, one of the first auto service garages in Oklahoma. My dad was hired to drive an elderly couple on the length of the just fully paved Route 66 from Miami, Oklahoma to wherever, veering off. We've seen the pictures of the Grand Canyon and Who knows what else? He enlisted because he was an unmarried man and he knew he'd be one of the prime candidates for the draft and also thought that way he might have a bit of a choice and be able to be a mechanic. And he was indeed in an armored division. It was 11 months later, the first Sunday in December, that he had papers before him. He had to make a choice. He could enlist for another year, and if he did that, he could go home for Christmas. Or he could not re-enlist and then be out in the middle of January, deciding until someone burst into the barracks and told them that Pearl Harbor had been bombed. He knew the choice. Go home for Christmas not knowing if he'd be able to do so again. I also learned a lot about life's choices from Nancy McGay. Nancy is a nurse and was for a long time a mission co-worker for the Presbyterian Church, first in Nepal when I knew her and later serving in the South Sudan. She's an incredible witness to faith and commitment 
Whenever I've been around her, with her quiet and gentle manner, I have been challenged. Challenged in my assumptions about life and ministry and the meaning of discipleship. The congregation I served in Succasana, New Jersey, sponsored her, and twice we hosted her when she was back in the United States on furlough. Once, Isabel, a church member whose husband was preparing to summit Everest, happened to go along with him, and he happened to be an ER doctor, so she was able to visit Nancy, bringing some medical supplies as well, all in this remote village of Jumblah, where Nancy served, far, far from Kathmandu. In fact, a three days trek from the nearest road, unless you were lucky enough to catch a seat on the plane that flew there a couple times a month. And fortunately, Isabel did get a seat. Nancy, it depended whether she did or not. I was very pleased when a few years later, I was serving a new church in Michigan, and I got a call from the Presbytery's, co Presbytery's coordinator of the month of mission. That's when some dozen or more missionaries would descend upon Detroit Presbytery and then been assigned churches to go out to preach and teach. And she says, I have someone that's kind of interesting that I think might be good fit for your congregation. It sure was, it was Nancy McGay. So after worship, she and I went out to lunch in the new Nepalese restaurant in town, Everett Express. I'd been there once and I asked Nancy if she was game to go and could check out for me if it was authentic. As we ordered, Nancy began to speak to the waiter in Nepalese. His mouth dropped, he ran back to the kitchen, and soon he and the owner, the cook, were talking away with Nancy, of course, in a language I had no clue, of, no chance of understanding. Every so often, one of the three of them would turn and kind of tell me what was going on in English. What amazed them was not that she was an American who had been in Nepal. They had known other Americans there. There's tourist trekkers, there's Everest climbers, students, but she was different. I saw their mouths drop again when she said, Jumbla. The owner turned to me and said, that's out in the sticks. He also told me, she talks like a country girl, not someone from Kathmandu. And he asked her, why choose there? Nancy had chosen a lifestyle as a Presbyterian mission co-worker doing health care, focusing particularly on nutrition and maternal care. Where she would go was really more of a decision by the PCUSA mission agency, although she certainly had input. Regardless, her choice led her to go to one of the remotest countries in the world to the most remote part of that country. And that meant she limited other choices that she might have had, like what to eat, beans and rice. It arose from the one big choice she had made about whom she would serve. She limited her other choices by making one big one. For most of us, most of the time, our choices are absolutely unlimited. 
There's too many choices. You know, you go into a diner and it's pages of options for meals. Middle school kids are befuddled by all the options they have for electives they can take. Some of you may remember Alvin Toffler in his book, Future Shock. He warned us that we are in a time of peril of overchoice. We have so many choices. It can be befuddling, not knowing which way to go, and paralyzing. Think of holding the TV remote in your hand, live TV, or the endless streaming options. Walk into Home Depot, Walmart, Costco. I have a friend of mine who calls those stupor stores. Doesn't that capture it? You know, you wander down the aisle, you peek down there wondering if what you want is there, and sure enough, you're drawn and you pick up something you didn't even come in after because who knows. We get drawn in and considering things that have nothing to do with what it was that I came in for in the first place. We have choices in choosing a church. A pastor told the story of once a couple came in who had been visiting his church on a Sunday and informed him that they were church shopping. And he asked him, how long had they lived in town and were they shopping for a church? And they said, for three years. We can't decide what's best for our needs. Overchoice can lead to no choice. And so it is that Joshua addresses the tribes of Israel. He gathers them all at Shechem to renew their covenant with the words, Choose today whom you will serve. Will you serve the God of Israel or one of the many gods, the many idols which abound around you, or those of, the, of, those of your ancestors before? Joshua had led the Israelites into the promised land. They had crossed the Jordan. They had fought the Battle of Jericho. They had been victorious to the north and to the south and began to claim the land as their own, dividing it up among the 12 tribes. They didn't totally obliterate the Canaanites, the Amorite culture, and they didn't entirely forget the gods that their ancestors had worshiped before the one God established the covenant with Abraham and then with Moses at Sinai. A bit of an aside, or maybe not. I have to admit that this passage, and many like it from Joshua with his words about inheriting the land, the promised land, the battles with the people who were settled there, is a hard one to read, especially in times like this. On the one hand, as I was working with it, we can read it and just say, you know, there's been violence and battles over this land for centuries. But the reality of the conflict this day is right before us. We know the claims of Zionism. We know the competing claims of land. We know about the Holocaust and we know the deep suffering of Palestinian refugees on the West Bank and in Gaza. We know of the absolute terror of Hamas, of Israelis slaughtered and taken hostage, and we know that far too many ordinary Gazan civilians, young and old alike, are killed and traumatized 
as bombs explode around them. The list of the tragic and the horrible for all the people who live there in that region, everyone, the list goes on and on. And I know I feel like I'm sure you do deep anguish that one day pulls me in one direction and the next in another and find ourselves crying out for peace, peace, when there is no peace. I find myself wondering daily, what can I do here? What can I choose to do here in Madison, Wisconsin to support efforts for peace and justice and safety and security for all? I have to admit right now, I'm not any clearer about the answer to that question than I'm clear about to the answer to how to deal with all the division and the resulting paralysis in our own country. It's really easy to just surrender, turn off the news, turn away thinking we have no choice. It's all far too frightening to face. But then moments happen and we get glimpses of hope along the way. Elections happen and we're reminded that choices can be made. A dear friend dying of cancer chose hospice and then chose to go about healing relationships that have been broken and making sure that in those intact, it was a good goodbye. Some among us have choices to re-enlist or not. Choices to serve God in places far away and remote or right here among those we know all making choices who more than anything represent choices made in hope. The early Hebrews lived in a culture of many choices. They had choices about what God or gods to worship. I mean, they had gods for every situation, one for the sun, one for rain, one for fertility, one for the harvest, and there were the gods of their ancestors, the gods of tradition, and some would wonder, why not just keep it all? It's like we keep a variety of brands in our cupboards because you never know when you might need just that particular item. You never know when the god of rain or fertility will come in handy. Why limit ourselves? Because we're so afraid of scarcity. But to assimilate, Joshua warns them, was to have too many choices, befuddling, stupefying choices. To have too many choices was to lead to indecision. As the poster in my college dorm room complained, the Harvey Cox quote, not to decide is to decide. Joshua reminded them, they and their ancestors have followed God's call from Mesopotamia. God guided them forth from slavery in Egypt into freedom through the desert wilderness into this land of milk and honey. They had promised to live by the covenant God had made, this God who had done such wonderful and marvelous things for them. 
In this new place, in this new time at Shechem, he called them to recommit. Choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua announced that he and his family would choose God, forsaking all foreign gods. And it, they all more or less nodded their heads in assent. And you might have expected after they all agreed that indeed they were served God, Joshua the kind of gone a yes. And with that affirmation, a party would have begun. But that's not what Joshua did. He reminds them that serving the Lord is hard. He says he's a jealous God. Now, jealous in this sense is not about intolerance or fanaticism. It's a reminder for us that ours is a God who demands wholehearted commitment, who demands a decision for God and for God alone. God demands that of us. As confessing Christians, choose God. To do so is to bear witness to the power of the risen Christ in our lives. In many ways, each Sunday when we gather to worship at home or here in the sanctuary, really each day is a recommitment to worship, to study, to prayer, to serve in the giving of our time, our talent, our treasure. Choosing God is a choice that informs all the other choices of our lives. It's to choose peace and justice, forgiveness, engagement, to choose life, to choose hope, choices that follow from choosing God. For you see, choice is a decision. The word decision comes from the Latin word meaning to cut, one reason we often fail to decide is knowing that in deciding, we are cutting off some options so we can embrace others. It's true for us every day of our lives. Some doors are closed when we choose to walk through others. The foreign gods are left behind, as enticing as they may be. Today, like every day, a choice is before us. Whom will we serve? It's a choice that is the first of all choices. It's a choice from which all others follow. It's a choice for God, who is our Redeemer, who saves us through the power of the cross, who leads us through life's journey, the one who brings us into the promised land, the God of hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.